Charles Swindoll said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. I am convinced life is 10% what happens to me, 90% how I react to it. We're going to look at uh, some of that here today, that that same thing, that life is about 10% what happens and 90% how we react to it. Here's a fascinating study on, on sleep disorders to show you how many people are not reacting very well to what life sends their way. Think about this. Sleep orders, the annual cost for things like lost productivity at work, 100,000 car accidents a year, the medical property expenses from all of this. Sleep disorders cost Americans $100 billion a year. Think about that. that again, people are wrestling to find a place where they can have that, that peace and just even able to relax. And so we're going to look at some things about that, especially, you know, day to day and then here during the holiday season. At this time of year, it's important to remember the words of Isaiah 9-2 that says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And that's what we're going to talk about here for a few moments, you know, that uh, no matter how dark things may seem, the, the light has entered into our world. As C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. When we come to this message of Christ, you know, it, it is all of him, the, the story of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, everything he taught, we base our life on that because if it's true, then it's all true. I'll give you an example of somebody who lived in the light of that. You may not recognize this name, but his name is Julio Rubel. He was known as the Billy Graham of Latin America because like Billy Graham, he had these revival services in stadiums, and thousands of people would come to these stadiums. Many would receive you know, Christ as Savior. There were stories of miracles. He studied under Catherine Coleman, and most of his ministry was in South America, but not just anywhere in South America. You know, Julio Rubel, he was saved out of the occult, and then when he gave his life to become an evangelist, he said, God, I want to go to the, the darkest places to bring that light there. So he went to places in South America, like Cali, South America, where the drug cartels ruled with an iron fist and they would take your life without even blinking an eye. And so, you know, he was this person that went to very difficult places and shared the gospel. But, you know, he took and he said his life was changed reading Luke 27, which reads in part, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. God is kind and here's the key to the ungrateful and the wicked. Julio Rubel wanted to go to a place where there was this wickedness and this ungrateful response to the grace of God. Here's two things that he said that I wrote down from his book. Our limitations, worries, even inexperience will never be excuses for not carrying out his purposes. You know, when Julio Rubel said, send me God to South America as an evangelist, he had no experience for that. But he leaned entirely upon God and incredible things happened. The second thing he said is there is a season of harvesting, a time in history categorized by two things, great wickedness and great multitude in despair looking for help. Does that not sound just like today? There's wickedness in the world, but there's also multitudes in despair looking to say, how do you find the light in this darkness? We're going to give some examples of people that came out of deep 
dark places by the grace of God and what God can do for them, they can do for you and I. And if you're facing something in your own personal life, and certainly there's challenges in the world, some of the things we'll look at today about how to live out that reality of this gospel message, the light in our life. I love what A.B. Simpson shared back in the 1800s, a Canadian preacher, fear is born of Satan. And so we're going to look at a place where we can know, again, courage and victory, living and all things. And it comes down to our choices. As somebody once wrote, you know, we cannot sow wicked thoughts and reap a clean life. We cannot sow bad habits and reap good character. We cannot sow disloyalty and reap loyalty from others. We cannot sow indifference and reap rewards. We cannot sow cruelty and reap kindness. We cannot sow neglect of the Lord's house and reap strength and temptation. And we cannot sow neglect of the Bible and reap a well-guided life. Think about for a moment the impact that each of us have. And I'll share some pretty fascinating things to think about, not just in our own life, but the legacy that we leave Consider, you know, Hudson Taylor, he's the founder of the China Missions. It's estimated today there's 200 to 300 million people in China in the underground church. Much is traced back to Hudson Taylor, who in the 1800s became the the first missionary to go to China. But his great-great-grandfather was James Taylor. And James Taylor went to hear John Wesley preach. And John Wesley preached on Joshua's words, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And James Taylor got down on his knees at the altar, dedicated his life, but not just his life, but his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to Christ. That impact of a a great-great-grandfather passing that faith down generation to generation. Then James Hudson Taylor, he grew up in a household hearing about God is able. So as a young man, he said, then I want to go to China where people said the gospel is not received well. Here's a fascinating thing about James Taylor, though. That day he was kneeling at the altar. That was his wedding day. He was actually late to his own wedding because he was in in prayer, giving his life and his family's life to Christ. So so think about something here for a moment. And I'll read this study here with Denny Canaston. But Proverbs 29.18, we all know the words, where there's no vision, the people perish. And a vision is a mental image, you know, it's imprinted upon your heart by the Spirit of God. And as Canaston shares, the Hebrew word for a dream or a vision is to make healthy, to be strengthened. You know, when a man has a dream, he comes alive, there's energy, his whole being gets consumed with what he sees and he wants. And when you have a vision to say, this is what my marriage can be, my life can be, my church, my community, my mental health, everything. When you have that vision and the strong, it, it means to make healthy, to be strengthened. Here's the thing, though. With no vision, the people perish. Perish here means cast off restraint. Perish here does not mean go to hell, but it means to live like a savage. Powerful word pictures here. Where there's no vision, something powerful to make healthy, something you see in your mind of how things can be, people live like savages. But where there is a vision of God, we see life no longer in that despair. Again, you may not have heard of Julio Rubel. I, I was not familiar with him till I read his book recently. And his book was published after he died. He ministered mostly in the 70s, 80s, early 90s in these places with these drug cartels. And in 1995, uh, again, they would take your life, these drug cartels, without blinking an eye. 
1995, two of them gunned him down on his church step. The newspaper said they've killed the last living saint. But his legacy has impacted generations to come. His wife, Ruth, is still a missionary in South America. She said something fascinating about Julio. She said he wrestled. At the end of his life, he said, you know, God really dealt with him to show him a man of God could not allow himself to be offended. But he needed to reflect Jesus in all situations as a son of the Most High. Julio wrestled with critics, and he would be hurt and wounded, angry, and he wrestled with saying, I want to not be upset when people criticize or best friends, you know, they, they betray you. He wanted to say, I want to respond like Jesus and, and send love to those people. And Julio Rubel shared a prayer that was his daily prayer that you and I should take upon ourselves. And that prayer was this, Heavenly Father, release your church to the harvest Release the harvest to your church. See, he understood not just in theory. He understood by experience and life that the people truly in darkness, you know, they've seen a great light. And that light is then to be brought by you and I that the harvest is ready as people are in despair looking for the answers. In the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, his last sermon, he said, if you could see our captain, you would go down on your knees and beg him to let you enter the ranks of those who follow him. We would have such a clear picture, a vision of Jesus in our life that it would make us healthy in all things and we'd move forward in him. Think about this study here, Denny Knast in Psalm 78.5.6 talks about when fathers pass the word of God to their children who pass them to their children who pass them to their children. So let me read the generations here highlighted. Psalm 78.5.6, he commanded our fathers, so there's one generation, they make known to their children, two generations, that that generation, even their children, which should be born, there's three generations. And they would arise and declare them to their children, four generations. So think about this. Denny Kanassen says, think if you had one couple and they have six children. And those couples, you know, they get, those children get married and those couples have six children. Now you have 36 people impacted by that first couple. He says, if you went out five generations with each couple having six children, you now have close to 10,000 people. And he said, said, if you think that's too high a number, cut that number in half to 5,000 people in five generations that one couple will impact. He shares this, I'm greatly moved by these numbers. I pray you are as well, because I'll tell you someone who is also greatly moved by these numbers. His name is Satan. And he knows if he gets that first couple, he'll get the rest of the generations with very little added work. Take a look at the world around to see the reality of the potential. You see, when a couple does not live for Christ and they pass down that disbelief or hypocrisy or whatever it is that drives other people from the faith, and then that generation passes that down and it goes on and on. But when there's a godly couple that says, I'm not here to play church. I'm not here to just have a a pretend faith. I'm not just here to put on a show, but I'm here to say, listen, there is a great light that entered into great darkness and he has rescued me out of that. 
And I want to share with other people how they can do the same. Think about this from a perspective of marriage. You know, research on emotional clashes with couples. This is fascinating. You know, when there's there's an argument between a couple, research shows 80% of those fights are rooted in events that predate the couple even knowing each other. 80% of the fights are about things we don't even realize we're fighting about because they're events that have been triggered by something prior to us knowing each other. What does that mean? If you grew up in a household where your dad, if he would sigh when he was disappointed, then you get married to somebody and they sigh, maybe they don't mean it the same way your dad did, but it triggers you. Suddenly you're in an argument with your spouse. Or maybe you grew up in your mom, she rolled her eyes. And that was her way to show her disdain. And now you get married to somebody and they roll their eyes, but maybe they don't mean it that same way, but you get triggered by that and suddenly now you're fighting about something. Doesn't even pertain to that other person. What's the point? The way you get out of that, 80% of the fights being about stuff that predates us even knowing each other, is the same way that we live a legacy for Christ. It's becoming conscious of what we choose day to day. Again, if life is 10%, what happens, 90% how we respond to it, then we have to become conscious about why we respond, how we respond, what's a better way to respond. Not just going through life on autopilot, reacting to things around us, but rather saying, like Julio did, I don't want to just be offended by somebody. I want to be awake in Christ, responding on purpose to life, and not just going about in reactionary mode. Maybe a great place to start is this prayer by Elizabeth Googe, early 1900s, three short sentences, a place to slow down, to focus on Christ, have that vision of him. Lord, have mercy. Into thy hands. Thee I adore. You know, as Spurgeon said, after being with Jesus, half the questions that trouble you will be answered, and the other half will not seem worth the asking. Remember back in Mark chapter 5, Jesus delivers the man from Legion. Verse 18 simply says, as Jesus stepped into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him, let me stay with you. That that would be our cry of our heart as well. Lord Jesus, just let me stay with you. And all the things become so big in life suddenly become so much smaller as we see who we are in him. Give an example of that. Christine shared an interview. Ellen Vaughn did the interview. Christine lived in Rwanda, 1994, the 100 Days of Horror Remember back in studying history, and and some remember it from the news at the time, but Rwanda, the genocide that began there, April 1994, and dark forces took over the country after the assassination of the president. Madness descended on Rwanda. One million Rwandans were killed by other Rwandans. Christine and her husband, they were spiritual leaders in that country. She was trapped in her home when the violence started. One of the churches in the area had 70 members and only one person survived. And Christine would share she was in her house for weeks. And one night she heard a boy crying in the street and he said, I'm dying. Somebody please pray for me. And she knew there were killers that were out on the street hunting for anybody to find. But she chose to run outside. 
She knelt down with this boy and began to pray with him. She was holding his hands. And suddenly she said, a militia gang surrounded me and I was caught. I knew this was the end. But she said, you know, one of the gunmen laughed and he said, ha, we'll take care of her tomorrow. And they let her go. And she would share that, you know, weeks more went by and I knew this is of Satan. She shared, then I had a vision. Let me read what she shared with Helen Vaughn. She saw Jesus on a cross pleading for mercy for his killers. She sensed the power of his forgiveness. And she prayed for God's spirit to triumph over the prevailing spirit of evil. And she went to sleep and had a deep sleep of peace. Think about that. She had this deep sleep of peace in the middle of ultimate darkness. Why? She was resting in Christ. The next day she got up and she prayed, God, can you blind the eyes of these mad men like you did in the book of Acts so that I can escape to safety? And she shared she went blocks and blocks and blocks and nobody saw her. She got to the embassy and she was safe. Incredible. Here's the thing. Christina and her husband today, they continue ministering in Rwanda. And Ellen Vaughn says this, can God work in our life in just the same way? Yes. Yes, he can. It's all about seeing him lifted up on the cross more powerful than dark forces. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, said, commit your soul to him and then fear nothing. Truly, as the promise of Isaiah The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And a lot of people feel a lot of darkness right now with being home, separated from families and anxieties about what's reported on the news and things like that. Others have their own personal situations, you know, that we might just come to that place and say, Jesus, I just want to stay with you. And as we get that vision of him, if you don't have it, start to pray, God, give me a vision for my life. Give me a vision for myself, for my family, for the legacy that I'll leave, for how I walk in Christ. Let me share one final picture of this. Again, when you hear these stories out there on the ultimate edge of raw human emotion, how God reaches into those places, as he does that for their situations, he can do that same thing for you and I. Listen to the words of of Sarah, who also interviewed by Ellen Vaughn. And and what she says here, it's just, it's going to be one of those things that there's no way somebody could say that that has not been with Jesus. Sarah and her husband, they were missionaries in the Dominican Republic. They were back in the U.S., during Christmas a few years ago. And just this lively family. Sarah was with some friends shopping and her husband was back home, you know, with his family. And Sarah said she got a phone call and what had happened is her husband, Hugo, had an aneurysm and died instantly. He was only 28. And Ellen Vaughn interviews Sarah, it's months later, and Sarah's now back in the Dominican Republic with her children. She's on the mission field. Here's what Ellen Vaughn writes. Even though she wept as she told us her story, she was lit by a fire within. 
tears running down her face, she said to us, even though this suffering has been so hard, I feel like if you knew what this experience of knowing Jesus Christ has really been like, you would actually be jealous of me and my loss. As Ellen Vaughn rightly shares, humanly speaking, this kind of interchange in the midst of human suffering is impossible. But this is what God can do when we come to rest in him. So as we close today, just to stop again and say, you know, what is your vision as you think about moving into 2021 about how your life could be, your marriage could be, your family can be, your joy daily, your own ministry, bringing light to the darkness. What's your vision? If you don't have one to begin to pray, God, give me that vision. And what's your level of commitment as we step into the new year? Looking back at 2020, have you grown? Where do you wish you'd have grown? What are you willing to step out and, and do about it? Lord, have mercy into thy hands. Thee we adore.